so yeah, there's been, uh, Margaret and Cheryl, the pastors, have been away uh, on sabbatical, and so various ones of us have been preaching, and, and it's been good. Certainly last week was good. And I preached twice in that time, and various of us preached, and the first time I preached about the parable of the servants who were waiting for their master's return, if you remember, and they were awake, alert, and ready, they had their lamps burning, and they were commended. So the master said to them, sit down at the table, let me serve you. So there was something about them being awake and alert and ready for their master ready to open the door. And then the week after I preached on Esther, not this Esther, but Esther in the Bible, about us stepping up into our responsibility. Uh, and then as we do that, we will find God's authority to, to uh, implement that. Then Bob talked to us about being a sign and a wonder, and that we are to be signs and wonders. And then last week, Esther... The real Esther, as opposed to the Bible Esther, <laughs> the, and, and the flesh Esther, uh, talked to us about upping our game, that we need to up our game. And after I preached the one on, on uh, taking on responsibility, Andrew reminded us that we had a word at the beginning of the year about uh, stepping up and stepping out, I think, wasn't it, Andrew? Was it stepping out or? Stepping out of the mire. Yes, yeah, stepping out of the mire, stepping out of the boat. So it kind of seems that God's speaking um, to us across the year about stepping up, stepping out, taking our responsibility. Um, you can hide from it if you like, but he'll keep speaking. And I've found that over the last couple of weeks, as I've been reading my Bible, um, I've still been, as I preached on, you know, being that parable, Jesus said, I'll come like a thief in the night. You won't know the time of the hour. Be ready, be awake. I've kept seeing it everywhere I've read. Um, and so... After I'd written this sermon, because I'm going to re revise that again, after, after I wrote the sermon, I saw it again. It is in Revelation, I've read through Revelation, Revelation 16, 15. It said, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake or alert and keeps his garments, lest he walk about naked and then see his shame. In the Amplified, it says, Guards his clothes. Okay, and the new amplified, I don't know if it's called the new amplified, but the, 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 the one, it says keeps his clothes. That is, stay spiritually ready for the Lord's return, so that you will not be naked, spiritually unprepared. And then in the, the message, in your faith message, it says you're blessed if awake and dressed, you're ready for me. Too bad if you're found running through the streets naked and ashamed. So you know those dreams you get where you're out in the streets? Naked and you know you don't. Or maybe you don't have them. But you know those dreams that some people have. I've been told. Maybe they are a spiritual warning to us that we don't want to be found unclothed when he comes. That we need to be. I'm just making that up. It may, it may not be that. It may just be too much cheese or whatever. But yeah. So I want to preach today as a reminder to us. Almost like I felt you know whilst Mark and Sharon have been away, let me just complete what God's been doing. So Mark can start fresh next week, um, preaching, I think, on faith. So I'm going to start with a message. This is a test this morning, okay? I'm going to start to, with a message. Sorry. I'm going to start with a message to the fifth church in Revelation, which is the church in... Don't look, Esther, please. <laughs> that is cheating. The fifth church. Sounds like sardines. Sardis, yeah, the church in Sardis. I'm going to start with the church in Sardis, okay? 
Uh, and because I was really through and I saw this and I thought, yeah, this is, this is uh, a good reminder again that God has been speaking to me. Maybe it's just me that needs to be awake and alert. I do have a snooze every afternoon. Maybe that's it. Maybe he's saying, stop your snoozing, Roger, and be alert. But I think it's more, he's speaking more widely than just to me. So, Sardis. So Sardis, at the time, was an active commercial city. It was very wealthy. Okay? It was the capital of, I'm not sure how you say this name, Croesus, 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 who was repeatedly the richest man in the world. He, he, that was his place where he lived. He was proverbial for his riches. But, looking at my commentary, it says, the city's easy wealth seems to have made for slackness. The thing about the church, it was, they were slack. Sardis is built on a hill with a, a real precipice up to it. So it was impregnable, really. It was not easy to attack. Its defences were impregnable. However, it was captured twice. Once by Cyrus, you know, our mate Cyrus from Isaiah, who sent the remnant back to, uh, to Jerusalem, do you remember him? Um, in 549 BC, and then Antiochus in 218 BC. And both times it was captured because of slackness. The, the soldiers scaled the precipice and found there was no God, and they took the city. So that's the kind of place that it's uh, talking into. And we'll see that. I'm quoting for, from the Tyndale commentary, a gentleman called Leon Morris. I mentioned him just in case he's in today listening to me, or he gets the tape later on. But Leon Morris, this is what he says. It says, John doesn't mention persecutions or heresies. So in, in the letter to the church, there's nothing about persecutions, that you've studied against persecutions. There's nothing against, about heresies. It says, it may be that this church had not suffered disturbance from without, and that its troubles stemmed from its comparatively sheltered existence. And then there's a quote, the temptation for the sheltered is always to take things easy, and they readily become slack. So let me read from the church to Sardis. If I say sardines, please forgive me. It's very, very close uh, to someone who's got my kind of mind. So, Revelation 3, verse 1 to 6. I'm reading from the New American Standard. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up! Sorry. <laughs> and strengthen the things that remain, which are about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. Remember therefore what you have received and heard, and keep it, and repent. If therefore you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. There it is again, come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come upon you. Let me just say, when he says he's coming like a thief, he's not committed to take our things, like a lot of people see religion as doing, taking our bits. He's coming that we won't know when he's coming. He's going to come. So it's, that doesn't mean he's going to come and steal from you. Because he's the one who gives to us. Yeah, we all know that. Good, I'm glad. So, um, yeah, so remember therefore what you've received and heard, and keep it and repent. If therefore you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come upon you.
upon you. But you have a few people in service who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So it starts off talking about Jesus having the seven spirits, and I'll come back to that in a little while. But the thing about this church is they have a good name. They've got a good reputation. It's a lively church. I'm not sure if people say that anymore. You, in, in back in the day when I was a grown-up Christian, they used to say, oh, you should go there to a lively church. You know, there's lots going on and things happening. You wanted to go to a lively church. You didn't want to go to unlively church. I'm not sure if they say that kind of thing anymore. Maybe things have changed. There's lots of activity. But lots of activity isn't always a good sign. Just doing stuff for the sake of doing it. It's what is expected. It's what every other church does. We'll do it because we want to do the same thing. There's a gentleman called West. I think his name is. He has a translation. And he's, this is what he says. I have found no works of yours that have been brought to a state of completeness in the sight of my God. So they're going through the motions. They're really lacking a faith, a faith element, a following of the Spirit, a doing of what uh, God wants them to do. As I say, they're doing what they're always done, what others do. They're, they've not completed. There's a, there's a lack. There's a lack of what they're doing. It's not completed. It's not full. Uh, Jesus is not happy with it. Um, I've got another quote from Liam Morris in Tyndale. He says, why did both Jesus and Romans, sorry, Jesus. Why did both Jews and Romans leave this church undisturbed, unlike some of its neighbours? Because if you read the churches around, they get persecutions and, 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 and heretics and all sorts. The answer may well be its lack of aggressive and positive Christianity. No faith in action. It's you know there's action, but no faith in it. They're not they're not doing anything worthy of being persecuted. And there's a guy called Caird who says, they were content with mediocrity, lacking both the enthusiasm to entertain a heresy and the depth of conviction which provokes intolerance. It was too innocuous to be worth persecuting. That's pretty sad, bad, horrible state to be in. Content with mediocrity, lacking both the enthusiasm to entertain a heresy and the depth of conviction which provokes intolerance. It was too innocuous, innocuous to be worth persecuting. And this is an easy statement. Is this where the church in the UK is at? Too innocuous to be worth persecuting? It's a broad statement, it won't be true of everywhere, but there's a sense that let's just keep the status quo, let's not offend anybody, let's just not rock the boat. Um, you might think it's a good thing being innocuous not rocking the boat that we can live a quiet life go out about our business, go to church on a Sunday go to our prayer meetings go without any persecution and any nasty people get in our faces 
you might think it's a good thing. But the thing that strikes me more and more, we'll never help anybody by being innocuous. You know, the gospel is offensive. And there needs to be offence for people to be saved. We worry about offending people, but we have the very message that they need. The very message that will help them. We're not to be um, offensive in ourselves. You know, some Christians are just offensive. And that's not right. But if, you know, if I'm offending people because I'm, the way I'm doing things, and what I'm saying and stuff, that's not good. But if I'm offending them because I'm talking about Jesus and Jesus can set you free and he's the way to life, if that's offending people, good. It needs to offend people. We need not to be innocuous. That's horrible, isn't it? That's, you know, spit you out of your mouth kind of territory, isn't it? You know, which is the other church. Because the Laodiceans, which is the other church, Laodiceans are the Sardinians were the two baddies, really, when you read through. These the two churches. And I think I saw something that said that both of those places are uninhabited now. You know, they've been, uh, they've just disappeared. Um, it was interesting, I was reading, um, I've been reading Hudson Taylor's autobiography again, I read it lots, and I was just reading a little um, incident from his life when he was quite a young man. He, they were going on a canal, or not canal, you know, down the river, and they had a young Christian, a young Chinese man with them, and they sort of warned him a few times about not walking around the edge of the boat because it was dangerous. But anyway, this day he fell into the water and because of all the sludge on the bottom, he got stuck and they couldn't, he didn't resurface, didn't come back up. So Hudson Taylor saw this and he, he, you know, he was thinking, I need to save the guy. So he started talking to these fishermen that were on the bank. You know, I don't think they were rather lion fishermen, but you know, they were fishing. And he's thinking, these guys here can help me get this man out of this water. And so he, he starts talking to them, can you help me? There's a man in there, he's going to drown. No, we're fishing. So, no, no, there's a, there's a guy. He's kind of, you know, he's in, in the water. He's not come back up. He's going to drown. No, 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 no. Okay. Well, you know, he said, I'll, I'll give you five dollars, whatever that was. You know. So, no, 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 that's not enough. You know, anyway, we want twenty dollars. Twenty dollars to save this man. And she said, I haven't got twenty dollars. I'll give you everything I've got. And they said, well, what have you got? He said, $14. Anyway, this went on, and eventually they dredged the river. The man came up. He was dead. And, you know, Hudson Taylor went away thinking, these guys had the facilities, had the equipment to save this man. But they were more interested uh, in their fishing. Maybe that was the way to get their livelihood. Or it probably was the way to get their livelihood. They wouldn't give that up to save a man. He was saying, what an indictment to us as Christians. That we have the words to eternal life. That we have the gospel to save people's souls. And yet we don't say anything. That's not good, is it? And I don't say to condemn us, but to say, we need to be speaking. We need to be telling people the good news. I don't, you know, they talk about, there's one finger pointed this way, two pointed back. There's one thing, there's about 20 pointed back at me, because I think of the times when I don't say anything. But actually, we have the words of eternal life. And I think the issue is, and this is what's been striking me, um, the enemy does a job on us. I was talking to a lady, um, one of my neighbours, during the week, and it was her 78th birthday, and she brought her some strawberries around, 
through a life group actually. So a few of you guys saw, saw a knock on the door and to nip out from during the so I wasn't as quite as edified as the rest of them because I had to miss half the thing. But anyway, she said to her, and I don't know what we were talking about, I said, oh, birthdays come out very often. And she said, eventually she said, yes, and eventually they stop the birthdays. And so and I stood there thinking, I know she's heard about the gospel before, I know Prince and Martha used to be And I just, I just didn't say anything. I just, and I just thought, what am I about? This, I just had no faith that if I spoke the name of Jesus, it would make any difference. Because I thought she's heard before, she's into spiritual things, you know, a bit weird. <laughs> and I just said nothing. That's terrible. I had the means to save her life. And, and I need to speak, you know, I need to start investing my faith. I'm getting my head about it. I just start investing my faith in this. We were, we were, we've been doing the John Bevere um, course on faith. I've pinched Mark Michelle's house group. They've come around my house and they're teaching me lots of great things. Eating my biscuits, drinking my coffee, which is fine. That's what house groups do. Um, but we were on, on Tuesday, we were realising that we need to be, and I can't use the word I use, it was a, it, but it was... Um, you need to be ruthless. We need to be like that about the word. You know, if I've seen something in the word, I must not let anybody put me off. Because he was saying, people in church, they will, they will speak the word down. They will speak the word. You need to hold on. We were saying, weren't we? We were saying, we're not going to be distracted from reading the word, but we're going to hold on to it. Even if we have to disagree with lovely people like Esther and say, you know, not Esther, because she preached on not, you know. But, you know, even if I could disagree with lovely people like Dennis, um, I just need to disagree and say, I don't agree. The Word says this, I'm going to put my life, my faith, my, uh, my whatever, into this. And I'm not going to let it be disciplined. Esther talked about it last week, didn't she? About how we can let things, you know, our talking. Isn't it? She was talking about our talking. You know, we need to make sure we're talking the Word, speaking the Word, getting the Word in. Because it's faith, isn't it? It's faith that's going to... If I'd have spoken to that lady about Jesus with my faith in the name of Jesus, that would have made a difference. But I let the enemy do a job on me. I kept my mouth shut. And who knows where that lady's going to die? Who knows? I could have made the difference. And in all of our lives, you know, we think, well, that's an old lady. She may die soon. Uh, but anybody could die soon. You know, I remember um, someone telling me, they used to joke about, because preachers used to say this a lot back in the 70s, you know, you need to make a decision now, you could go home and be hit by a bus on the way home. And they used to laugh about that. But then one night, someone was hit by a bus on the way home. And that really made them, you know, it's not a joking matter, is it? You know, the, the day of salvation is today. We need to speak to people today with our faith invested in the word. And, and all this stuff that kind of says, you know, they don't want to hear, it doesn't make a difference, they might be offended. We need to talk, push that aside, be ruthless with it, don't we? So, there we go. So how does Jesus see this church? What does he say? If you look in 3b, he says, repent. If, therefore, you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. It's not talking about the second coming now. It's talking about judgment coming on that church. 
for the way they're living. He's saying, I will come to you. And again in the Chindal commentary, it says, their fate is nonetheless fearsome because it's not defined. It doesn't tell you what's going to happen to them. It's almost like when your mum says, if you don't do that, it doesn't tell you what's going to happen, but you know something's going to happen and you better do it. Yeah, well, better not do it. Well, whichever way around it is, you know, we know there's that there, isn't there? So what's the answer for this church? Verse 2, wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. I.e., the, the wake up is be watchful. It's ironic to a church, to a city that was caught twice, uh, being you know taken over because they didn't have God set. That they're saying, watch out, guard, be alert to this that's coming out, and strengthen what remains. Fan the embers, stir up your faith, complete the works, invest faith in what you're doing. I've already mentioned that. Haven't I? What are you doing? What are you doing? Invest faith in it. Whatever you're doing, invest faith in it. If you can't invest your faith in it, stop doing it. Find out what God wants you to do. But let's invest our faith. It's only faith that pleases God, isn't it? It's only faith. He's not impressed by all these dead works that we might get up to. You know, I've been to 53 prayer meetings this week. Oh, well, you must be quite tired. But if there's no faith involved, it's not going to have any impact. It needs to have faith. It says, remember, therefore, what you have received. Actually, when it says what, it's how. Remember how you've received and heard. And bear in mind how you received. Remember, call to mind the truth and from whom you received it. And I've already mentioned the John Bevere course. I've still got to have a hold of that. Don't let anyone talk down. Your, don't let anyone talk down your faith and the work that you have. It's up to you to protect it. I can't come around and protect it for you. Mark can't come around and protect it for you. No one can. You need to protect your faith and hang on to it. We owe it to ourselves, we owe it to him to protect that word. Um, if God says it, it's true. We need to believe it. Okay, it's like the parable of the rocky soil. And actually, we had a bit of a debate because John Bevere uses the Passion Translation. And, and it was, a, it was a, an unusual translation. Um, but basically, we need to be rooted in the Word, and the Word needs to be rooted in us with a strong root. And Esther made the point that for roots, you need water, the Holy Spirit. So it's a Word and a Spirit. Not you, Esther Krem. At our, our John Bavir, the highlight of the week. That highlight of the week. Did you say it? You preached on it. Marvellous. How was it before the other week? So, yes, we need roots, strong roots in the word, and the word strong roots in us. And really, that's all that counts, isn't it? All this other claptrap. You don't need it. You don't need it. We need to focus on what's important. Life is too short. You know, I'm finding that 63 now. Life is too short to mess around for another 20 years. I'll be gone. I need to make it count now. Believe the word now. Speak the word now. And it needs our active participation. That's the thing I've realized recently. Um, if you just lie to die through life, nothing happens. In fact, you probably go backwards. There needs to be an active participation, an active working of your faith 
to make things happen. Things don't just happen by themselves. Okay, cool. So, did you get that bit? So, I might stress that enough. Is my hammer and one nail? It's a joke. I'm just saying that's what I preach. That sometimes preachers have three nails and a hammer and then bang them in. I have one nail and a sledgehammer. You know, and I don't stop until your face is covered. Like that. But I'm going to stop now. So, back to verse 1. Okay, of this thing. And to the angel of the church in Sardis writes, He who has the seven spirits and the seven stars. Hey? Seven spirits? I thought there was just one Holy Spirit. Um, and, yeah, so I've been thinking about this a little bit. And, and through Revelation, it talks about seven spirits, seven eyes, other parts of the Bible as well, particularly prophetic, you get the seven, seven, seven. But what really helped me um, was Isaiah 11, verse 4. Uh, 1 to 4, and I'll read it in a minute. Because I think this is the answer to the Sardinian um, situation. The Holy Spirit, and what he, who he is, and what he carries. So, 11, 1 to 4, Isaiah. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and strength, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he will judge the poor, and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. And I, again I owe this to um, the Tyndale commentary, a gentleman called J. Alec Motia. I don't know if anyone knows him, the tea often, but this is, this, is, this is helpful. It talks about the Holy Spirit resting upon uh, Jesus, basically. And it gives a description or a, a, a kind of a, a bit of an understanding about who the Holy Spirit is and what he can do in our lives. And I think this is what the Sardinians need, and it, it's almost like the clues in the first line, I, I am the one with the seven spirits, goes through, but if we were to tap in to the Holy Spirit, we can uh, not get involved in this uh, slackness and apathy. So the first attribute, the main one, is the Spirit of the Lord. Okay? He is God. The Holy Spirit is God. He's the indwelling God, God with us. He is the Lord. And I talked about that time, the resident boss. We need to treat him as the Lord. You know, he's not just a little helper that came along um, to, to help us while Jesus is here. He is the helper that's come along, but he's not a little helper. He's the same nature as God. He carries the Lordship of Christ. And we would do well to, to obey him. And that's what we need to do. I've said we can ignore him, we can quench him, we can disobey him. But for us to walk in his fullness, we need to set our mind on him. Fellowship with him. Do you remember the, that grace? Uh, grace of Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship, the koinonia, the communion of the Holy Spirit. He's come to have fellowship, communion with us, the living God. And we're going to see in a minute, 
what he's like and, and he can communicate that into our lives and help us not to be slack and uh, worthy of judgment uh, because of the way we've, we've lived. Now Alec Montier says, the furthest six attributes are in pairs of two. And okay, this is his interpretation, you might not agree with it, but I'm going to tell you what he thinks. The first two are the ruling attributes, wisdom and understanding. The second two are practical abilities, counsel and power. And the final two are spiritual qualities, knowledge and fear. So we've got the fear of the, fear of the Spirit of the Lord and then we've got things. And we, we need all of these, so all of these characterize the true ruler, the ruler that's coming, the king that's coming, who's going to come to rule. And that's what he asks us to do, isn't it? Revelation 3 verse 5, going back to Sardinia, he says, it says, he who overcomes shall thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. So we need to overcome. And we can't overcome on our own. We, as individuals, as people, as human beings, are not overcomers. We need the Holy Spirit dwelling in us to make us overcomers. And it's this Holy Spirit now we're talking about. So he's saying, wisdom. This is the general capacity to have a right judgment in all things. A right judgment in all things. So that when we look at things, we understand we've got a right judgment. I look at this person, I've got a right judgment of where we're at. The problem in the Church of Sardis, everyone was saying that it's a lively church, it's a lovely church, it's wonderful. Jesus is saying, no, it's not. It's slack. It's worthy of judgment. So we need to have that right judgment, don't we? Understanding is the ability to see to the heart of an issue. The ability to see to the heart of an issue. Next one, counsel, is the ability to devise a right course of action and power to see it through. Power is the power to see it through. And then, excuse me, knowledge is beyond knowing about we know about a lot of things, don't we? And we've all heard it before, we know, you know, we know a lot about David Beckham. But none of us, maybe Chris does, but none of us know David Beckham. You know, we, we and, and that's the difference between knowing about someone, we know how he talks, and we, uh, we know about his children, and his wife, and uh, all that kind of stuff, but we don't know him. And it's the same with the knowledge. It's an intimate, personal, relationship with a person. That's what the Holy Spirit brings. A personal, intimate relationship. Obviously, if we fellowship with Him, if we just sort of sit and twiddle our thumbs, we get nowhere. And when that person is Lord, the relationship demands and prompts the fear. This is the last one. Fear which shows itself in moral concern. Genesis 20 and 11. If you want to write them down. Obedience. Exodus 20, 20. Sensitive conduct. Nehemiah 5, 9, 15. Loyalty and worship. So the fear of the Lord in our lives brings moral concern. We have a moral concern. We are obedient. We have sensitive conduct. We have loyalty. And we worship. And we can go beyond the apparent. I, you know, if you look at verse 4, it says, um, I'll read it again. But with righteousness he will, sorry, at the end of... Um, it's three, I'm sorry. Delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. 
with the Holy Spirit, we're giving ourselves to the Holy Spirit, we can stop judging things by what we see, by what we hear, but by what He says. As we develop an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit, we can expect these attributes to manifest in us, and we can ask Him for them in any given situation. So if we need these things, like for instance in James it says if you need wisdom, you can ask, and God gives you that without uh, reproach, I think, isn't it? We'll give it to him. So, as I said, this is the answer to the Sardinian problem. This is the answer to our issue if we find ourselves slack, if we find ourselves just going through the motions, if we find ourselves uh, you know, in a place where we think, yeah, I'm not quite where I should be. It's the Holy Spirit and what it brings and the Word of God that we need. It's not rocket science, is it? Don't you think, you know, been a Christian a long time, and it's, it isn't rocket science. We just have to do the things that we know. We just have to be obedient to the simple things. Um, you know, the simple gospel is about. We need to obey these things, and as we obey, they will work. As we don't obey, we'll have to get more and more knowledge about more and more things to try and make ourselves better people. But it won't work because we miss the obeying the Holy Spirit or, or, or the Word or whatever. So we're called to be a people of the Word and of the Spirit, zealous for good works, i.e. works of faith, to allow the Holy Spirit to lead and energise us and for us to invest our faith in what we do. Because as I've said already, it's only faith that pleases God. So let me just repeat uh, Genesis 3 verse 5. It says, He who overcomes shall be clothed in my garments, not erased from the book of life. Jesus confesses his name before the Father and the angels. Just a couple of verses, 1 John 5 verse 4. For whatever is born of God, and I kind of read to us earlier about being born of God, and uh, that, that was good. Whatever is born of God. Is anyone born of God? You overcome the world. You overcome the world. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The Holy Spirit in us enables us to overcome as we listen and obey him. And let him be all he wants to be. And he empowers us to be lamps burning brightly. Do you remember in that first parable we talked about? Be ready. Let your lamps be burning brightly and then be awake, be alert, be watching. So it's it's him. You know, the oil in our lamps. That very yeah, song that we used to sing, give me oil in my lamp. And then all those silly verses, give me option in my gumption or whatever it was. But, uh, <laughs> option in my gumption wasn't it? But anyway, you know what I mean. So, I would say it's time. I think we've been hearing over the last period. It's time for us to be dressed, ready for action. Mm -hmm. To be alert, to be awake, to be watchful in an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit who will enable us to overcome. We need to up our game. Yeah. To, be, to be a sign and a wonder. Mm -hmm. To be responsive to the Holy Spirit. So he, we, can fulfill all the works that he has called us to accomplish. In 3 verse 6, it says, um, 
What is the Spirit? Uh, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What is the Spirit saying to you? What has the Spirit been saying to you? Not just today, but over the last little while. What has the Spirit been saying to you? Are you aware of what he's been saying, or do you need to go back and ask him? Sorry, I have an ear, but I didn't use it. I was sitting in the sermon, but I didn't, I didn't listen. What? Because it's so vital. It's so vital. What is the Spirit saying to you? And secondly, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about what he's saying? It's all very well hearing the voice of the Lord, and that's great. We all need to do so. But then we, we hear so that we can obey and walk in those things. So what are you going to do about it? How are you going to put that into practice? As I'm closing, I know I haven't spoken for very long, but as I'm closing, I want to read a couple of the blessings that are in the Word over you. So I don't know if you want to close your eyes and, and just receive uh, the implementation of the Word. These are, uh, these are God is able verses. Okay, God is able. Don't know what they are already. But Jude, verse 24, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless, with great joy. To the only God our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority, before all time and now and forever. So it's saying, he who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory. Blameless. He is able to be blameless with great joy. And then Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. Father, I thank you for your word, I thank you for what you've been saying to us, uh, over the last little while, I pray that we would hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Lord, we want to be those who are walking in your works, zealous for good works. Not like the Sardinian church who had a, uh, a reputation for being uh, alive, but they were dead. Lord, we want to be alive. Whether people see it or not, it's up to them. But Lord, we want to be seen by you to be alive. Lord, we want to be walking in the works you've got for us. Yeah. Investing our faith in your name, your word, that as we speak it to people, it may be bringing offence, but it will bring change in their lives. Thank you that we have the word of eternal life, because Jesus is in us by the Spirit. Thank you that we have the tools to save people from hell. Lord, help us to see and use them, and not be afraid to cause offence. Lord, because we know that your word is offensive, but people need to be offended to change their ways, to change their mind. And that's what we desire, Lord. We desire our lives 
to be lived in such a way that we uh, depopulate hell and we populate the heavenly realms, Lord. That we see people in heaven that we've had a, an impact in their lives. So Holy Spirit, help us now to be awake, to be alert, to be watching, to be clothed, to be in that intimate relationship with you, Holy Spirit, who is, uh, who is to us wisdom, who is to us counsel, who is to us understanding, who is to us power, who is to us knowledge, who is to us the fear of the Lord, who is to us the Lord. And may we delight in the fear of the Lord. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.